We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning, so I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews. It's towards the very back of your Bible. And in my home, we are in the stage of life where we constantly are needing batteries. My kids have a lot of toys that require batteries to make noise, to move, to do all kinds of different things. And just about two weeks ago, Charlie had brought me her little, uh, it's a unicorn nightlight, okay? And so you push the button, the unicorn lights up, and it's, she keeps it right there on her bedside table, and it's hard to sleep without it. Well, she brings it to me, granted, right before bedtime. This is when it always happens. Uh, and she says, Dad, the batteries are dead. I can't, it won't work. It won't turn on. And so I go, all right, you know, I go, and I see, all right, we need some double A's. And so I open the drawer where we keep our double A's and I start sorting through and there's some triple A's and there's some nine volts and C batteries. Who even has C batteries? But we've got C batteries and no double A's. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, this is not good, right? So I go down to the basement where sometimes we have some extra stuff, no double A's in the whole house, nothing. So I'm telling Charlie, like, all right, listen, if you'd have told me like an hour ago, maybe we could have run to the store and got some batteries, but it's too late now. You got to get in bed. We'll do something else. Here's a little flashlight. You can use that. And so then after we got the kids in bed, I'm like, all right, well, we need new batteries in the house. And I don't know about you, but batteries are real expensive, especially if you try and buy those, uh, the Energizers or the Duracells. Those are ridiculous. And so typically what we do is we get on Amazon and we buy the Amazon Basics, and they're good enough. But I got on Amazon, and I went to purchase some more batteries, and so I just typed in AA batteries, and this other brand came up. And I'm like, oh. That's even cheaper than the Amazon Basics, right? Now, I have standards for batteries, right? I won't buy the cheapest of the cheap because it has to at least last a decent amount of time, okay? So I'm not gonna buy like the, the absolute cheapest, but I'm not buying the most expensive, right? So I'm somewhere in the middle. And so I'd never heard of this brand. So I get on YouTube and I search batteries, you know, with this brand name or whatever. And I find a video and this guy's like testing all kinds of batteries. So 30 minutes later, He's run all these tests on like a little hand fan and a light, uh, flashlight and all these things. And he turns out that he says, this Allmax brand is actually pretty good. What you get for your dollar is a great value. And then he said, now if you stuck with me this long, you might care about how these batteries are packaged. So now I'm gonna look at the packaging. And that's when I knew I'd wasted enough time of my life and I was not about to care one bit about how these batteries were packaged. So I went back to Amazon knowing, hey, this must be a decent brand, right? It's cheap per battery. And so I bought 200 of them. And so now anytime Charlie's nightlight runs out or the kids' batteries die, we've got some, at least for the immediate future. But what I did with those batteries is what most of us do with a lot of things. We know that there's lots of different options of things we can get, but we want to get something that's a little bit better than the worst, right? Nobody wants to get the worst. So we're always searching, what's the better value? What is the better uh, purchase here, right? For the amount of money that I'm spending, is the value I'm getting going to be equal with, you know, what I'm spending? We're always looking for something that's better. And the book of Hebrews to, to make it very simple, is making one big overarching point. And that point is that Jesus is better. 
That word better, right? Now we know that the Bible's translated. It was not initially in English. It's translated a couple different ways in different translations. Even in, in my ESV Bible, it's that same word is sometimes translated as better and sometimes translated as superior. But those things have the same meaning. Okay, so your Bible might say something slightly different than mine. But all throughout the book of Hebrews, the author is making this comparison of things in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and Jesus. And there's this refrain over and over and over again all throughout the book that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so we're going to start this morning by looking at just the first four verses of Hebrews. And here's what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels, there's that word superior, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So this is an interesting introduction to the book of Hebrews, and like I said, even in these first few verses, we have that very first comparison Right? Jesus is superior to the angels, is what he says. And the rest of chapter 1 continues making that argument. We'll get to that in just a minute. But what we need to understand, and you may already know this, is that the Old Testament and the New Testament are somewhat different. Okay? There are some big differences between Old Testament life and New Testament life. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system. And anytime somebody sinned, whether it was intentional or unintentional, there were certain sacrifices that needed to be performed in order to be forgiven of those sins. Okay, you can read all about that in Leviticus. All right, it's a fascinating read. They also had priests, okay? And priests were actively involved in this sacrificial system. And so if you needed to perform one of these sacrifices, you wouldn't do it yourself in your backyard. You would go to the temple and you would have a priest be involved in that with you. There were also prophets, and God spoke to his people through those prophets. We know that there are prophets in the Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel are some of the bigger ones. We've got minor prophets. Uh, we, we've heard of all that. But also, you've got kings. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people initially did not have a king, but then they asked for one. And God knew that that was not the best thing, but yet he gave them what they wanted and gave them Saul to be king which turned out to be bad, but then you had David who came after Saul and he was a good king. But you don't have a lot of that in the New Testament. But what we do have in the New Testament is the coming of this one named Jesus. And he is, as the Bible proclaims, the Son of God. He is the very Son of God who comes into the world and he is the Savior. He is the one who now sacrifices himself and is the savior of his people. And so there's some big differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the author of Hebrews is pointing that out first and foremost by the way God communicates. Okay? The first thing that we want to see here this morning is that our God is a speaking God. 
Our God is a speaking God. He says this in verse one, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so we know without a doubt that God is a speaking God. If you go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, if you've ever done a Bible reading plan, hopefully you've at least gotten this far. Look at the third verse of Genesis one. It starts by saying, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And that refrain, and God said, is repeated over and over again throughout the first chapter of the Bible. And so from the very first chapter of the Bible, if you've made it to verse three of Genesis one in your Bible reading plan, you know that the God who is the one who created all things is a speaking God. He communicates, okay? But more than just communicating or just saying things, look at Genesis chapter two. Starting in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And so God speaks, and he speaks things into creation, but what we also learn is that God has specific commands that he gives to Adam. And consequences should those commands not be obeyed. And so from the very first two chapters of the Bible, we know that God says things. He is communicating to Adam who he has created. There are commandments that need to be obeyed and consequences should they be disobeyed. And as you continue through the Old Testament, we see that God speaks in lots of different ways. He speaks to Moses through the burning bush. Moses meets him at the tent of meeting. We have all these prophets Okay, commentator Tom Schreiner says this, Old Testament revelation was transmitted through narrative, hymns, proverbs, poetry, parables, and love songs, through wisdom and apocalyptic literature. God communicated with his people for hundreds of years, speaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses and Joshua, Samuel and Saul, David and the kings of Judah and Israel, and to the prophets, and to the people who return from exile. The one true God is a speaking God, one who communicates with his people and reveals his will and his ways to them. God spoke in lots of different ways in the Old Testament. Now, the other thing I wanna point out is that the, the verse one in Hebrews says, long ago. This is not just referring to how long it has been since God did this, Really what the author of Hebrews is wanting us to associate is that is the way God used to do it, all right? Back in that era, God spoke to, his, to the fathers through the prophets. But look at verse two. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the author is wanting us to know that God used to do it one way. And that was he spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But now things are different. Now a new era has come. And now God speaks to us by his son. Notice that God is speaking to his people, right? In verse one, he says, he spoke to our fathers. Verse two, he says, he has spoken to us. Verse one, it is by the prophets. Verse two, it is by his son. Okay, 
So God is speaking. God spoke in the Old Testament. He speaks still in the New Testament. But we need to understand that these last days is referring to all of the time in which has passed from Jesus coming till the end of the age, till Jesus returns. That is what he's referring to is in these last days. Tom Schreiner also said, the God who spoke in the past still speaks, but in these last days he has spoken finally and definitively in his son. So we ask the question, what is the speaking of his son? Well, we've got the entire New Testament which all bears witness to the Son. None of it was written by Jesus himself, but in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have many quotations from Jesus, the words that he spoke, the teachings that he taught, and then all through the epistles, we have all that Jesus commands to the church through the apostles. And so what we have in our New Testaments, the 27 books, is what God has spoken to us by his Son. Now, it's important that we understand that because we live in a time where people are fascinated with this idea of hearing from God separate from the Bible. Now, I'm not here to say that that never happens because when we look in the Old Testament, clearly the pattern was God spoke to his people through the prophets. That's how it happens the majority of the time. But we do have examples where God spoke directly to individuals. And I'm sure it happens in New Testament times as well, but we need to be careful with this, and here's why. We are told that God speaks to us through his son. And we know that that's what we have recorded here in the New Testament. And really, you could expand that to the entire Bible. God has spoken to us, okay? But when he speaks to us by his son, that means we have his recorded word. This is what God has said. This is how God has revealed himself. And I have talked to people who have said things such as, I heard God speak to me and tell me this is what he wanted me to do. Now, I'm, again, I'm not saying that's never happened or it won't happen. I have heard many missionary stories where they've said similar things. But what's always true in those situations is either that people group does not have the Bible in their language or they don't have the literacy to be able to read it themselves, or it's really hard to get access to it. And I've heard many stories of how God has done miraculous ways to, to communicate to those people. But for us, in 2023, I would venture to say most of us in this room can at least read a little bit. And if not, we've got access to any kind of audio Bible you want. But for us to say that God has spoken to us individually apart from his word is dangerous because God has already spoken in his word. And so we should be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so they, they heard people teaching them about the ways of God and they went to the scriptures and examined them daily to see if these things were so. That is how we should respond if someone says, I heard God tell me something. Look to the scriptures. Does it agree with the scriptures? Maybe we can go with it. 
Is it, does it disagree with scriptures? We're gonna reject it, right? Paul also wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good, right? The warning in scripture is there may be people who say things that they are claiming is from God. Don't just immediately throw it out, but test it. Make sure it agrees with what God has already said in his word. But Hebrews tells us that now in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And so the question that I have and that maybe you have is, why should we listen to the son? Why should we listen to what the son has to say? Okay, and that's what the rest of this passage is all about. Verse two, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So he starts to give all of these reasons for why we should listen to the son. The first one is, he appointed him the heir of all things. The second one is right after that, through whom also he created the world. Right after that, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So there's these seven things that he lists, right? These are the reasons that we should listen to the son. First and foremost, it says he is the heir of all things. An heir is someone who inherits something. When their forefathers pass away, it is passed down to the heir, someone who's written in the will or in the inheritance. And what's important about this is that Jesus makes promises throughout the scripture, and if he's the heir of all things, then we know that he can come through on those promises. So one of those being Matthew chapter five, verse five. These are the Beatitudes. Jesus himself said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, is the earth his to give? It is if he's the, going to inherit all things. If he is the one who will receive all things, then he can freely give it to those through whom he will. And so the heir of all things is an important aspect of who Jesus is, but it's also a reminder of Psalm 2, verse 8. And in Psalm 2, it's a, a question, right? Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? And the answer is, God says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It is a reminder that God is saying he's going to give all of the nations as a possession to his son, whom he also refers to as God in that Psalm, Psalm 2. And so God, Jesus being the heir of all things means he is going to receive all things. All things will be his. We should listen to what he has to say. But if that's not strong enough uh, evidence itself, he goes on and he says, through whom also he created the world. Now maybe you've not heard this before, but this is not the only place where the Bible tells us that Jesus was directly involved in the creation of the world. We always think of Genesis 1 and think, oh, God the Father just spoke, and it became, and it was. And that's true. But now in the New Testament, we learn more. 
okay? He's telling us here that it is through Jesus, or the Son, as he refers to him, that the world was created. Listen to what John says. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So John, at his gospel, at the very beginning of his gospel, says Jesus was in the beginning with God. He is the word of God, or so it's called, right? John himself is saying the same thing, that God is speaking to us by his son. But he also says it's through his son, through Jesus, that all things were made. And if it were not for him, nothing would have been made. Paul also says this in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1.16, he says, For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so the author of Hebrews here is not alone in reminding us, not only is Jesus going to inherit all things, he created all things. He was there involved in, at creation, speaking things into existence. And so it should come as no surprise when Jesus is on the boat with his disciples and the winds and the waves are crashing and Jesus says, peace, be still. And it does. Because creation is listening to the voice of its creator and it's obeying. And in the same way, we should listen to the son, not just because he's going to inherit all things, but because he spoke all things into being, because he is the creator of all things. The next thing he says, is, there's two different things he says, but they essentially mean the same thing. He says in verse three, he's the radiance of the glory of God. And then he says, and he's the exact imprint of his nature. Now this is important. Jesus is not just a good teacher, as some would have you believe. Jesus is not just another prophet, as some religions say that he is. Jesus is the Son of God who is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He's not just some dude who came to teach us all to love each other. He is the radiance of the glory of God. John also talks about this. In John's prologue, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, this is what he says in verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But he, speaking of Jesus, has made him known. And what he's saying is that God is invisible. We don't see God, but Jesus has come, and Jesus makes the invisible God known. We are able to see what God is like because we have seen Jesus. Later in John's gospel, we see this interchange between uh, Jesus and Philip. And this is John 14. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I've been with you for so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
Jesus himself is bearing witness to what the author of Hebrews is saying, that Jesus himself is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. If you wanna know what God is like, look to Jesus. That's why we have four accounts of Jesus' life in the Gospels. You want to know how God treats people? Look at how Jesus treats people. If you want to know how God deals with difficult situations, look at how Jesus deals with difficult situations. If you want to know how God is gracious and merciful and loving, look at Jesus in the Gospels and see how he is gracious, loving, and merciful. To look at Jesus is to look at the Father. This is important. Paul also says this in Colossians. He says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. To look at Jesus is to look at the Father. And Hebrews is making that so clear to us. And so, when we think about the fact that Hebrews is telling us, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, well, why should we listen to his son? Because he's the exact imprint of God himself. He is the radiance of his glory. To listen to Jesus is to listen to God. To ignore Jesus is to ignore God. He also then says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, how does he uphold it? By the word of his power, right? God speaks, Jesus speaks. What's fascinating about this is for me, I, I love space. And if there's a space documentary specifically about the 1960s and 50s, right, when we went to the moon with the Apollo program, I've probably seen it. And if I've not, I need to. So if you know of one, let me know. But I was watching one that, about this, this most recent mission that NASA sent the Artemis uh, mission to the moon and it just went around the moon in a unique orbit. And I was watching a video explaining this and they said, now when you get out of Earth's, well, you, you don't fully get out of Earth's gravity, right? Because the moon is still in Earth's gravity. But when you get far enough away so that you're kind of leaving Earth, you can't just aim the ship at where the moon is and start going. Because the moon keeps moving around the earth. And so if you do that, you're going to miss the moon by a lot. And so you have to figure out where the moon's going to be and how long it's going to take you to get there. And then you got to aim for that. So you're, the moon's over here and you're going this way the whole time. And then the moon comes and meets you. It's stuff that blows my mind. And the Bible tells us that God is upholding all of that by the word of his power. Now that's just one small little example of the earth and the moon. But when you zoom out and you think about our entire solar system, when you think about our entire galaxy, when you think about all the things that the James Webb Space Telescope is seeing that we've never seen before, that is so far away from earth and, and even beyond, God is upholding all of it by the word of his power. We should listen to his son. He is powerful. But that's not all he says. After this, he says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. While all of that is amazing, God's, God spoke the world into being. God is upholding the universe by the word of his power. He's the exact imprint of God's nature But also, he made purification for sins. 
And after he did that, he sat down at God's right hand. Now, to be at God's right hand is a symbol of power and authority. There are lots of references of being at God's right hand all throughout the Psalms, and and I'm not going to go over all of them now. It's a fascinating study, though. But later in Hebrews, look over to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. God the Son made purification for sins. This is the whole reason that you and I are here this morning. If all the other things are true about God, but he did, or about the Son, but he did not make purification for sins, there's no point in us being here this morning. It's great that he's powerful. It's great that he's upholding all things by the word of his power. It's great that he's the exact imprint of God's nature. But what we need is purification for sins. Because from Genesis chapter three, throughout the rest of the Bible, that is our problem. We are sinful. We have disobeyed God's commands. We have not lived a perfect life that we are required to live in order to be in God's presence. None of us deserve to be in God's presence. None of us deserve any goodness, gracious, graciousness, mercy, anything. But in the Old Testament, they had this sacrificial system. And so when you messed up and you knew you did, you bring a sacrifice and it is a bloody mess. You read about it in Leviticus, there's blood all over the place. There's blood being sprinkled, there's blood being poured, there's blood being all over the place. And it is a reminder that sin kills. Sin brings death. I need to take this thing off, man. Keeps going off. Jesus has made purification for sins. Jesus is the one and only way that it is possible for you and I to come into the presence of God. That is the gospel message that we preach week after week after week. And the author here, and one of the reasons why we should listen to the son who has spoken to us in these last days is he made purification for sins. But not just that. But he is presently at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is at the right hand of God right now. He is ruling and reigning over the universe. He is in control. All things belong to him. But then there's one other thing that he says here. Verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now this seems really strange. What do angels have to do with it? And if you continue reading the first chapter of Hebrews, the rest of the chapter is all about making that comparison of why Jesus is greater than the angels. So, why is it? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 7, verse 53, you don't necessarily need to turn there, but just listen. 
This is Stephen's speech. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And he's giving this speech right before he's, he's murdered. And he says to them, this is Acts 7.53. He says, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Later in Galatians, Paul says this. This is Galatians 3.19. He says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. See, angels were seen as the ones who delivered the Old Testament covenant. They are the ones who brought it or administered it, right? That's how the New Testament authors are seeing it. And so when the Hebrews is comparing Jesus to the angels, they, what, they, what the author is saying here is that Jesus and what he has accomplished on the cross, making purification for sins, is better than the old way delivered by the angels. It's superior, as he says. And he's gonna go on to say all of the different ways in which Jesus is better. Commentator George Guthrie says this, the first word translated superior in chapter one, verse four, is the author's favorite when drawing attention to the preeminence of Christ and the new covenant religion. Christ is a superior priest, chapter seven, verse seven. Christ's followers have a superior hope, chapter seven, verse 19, because they're involved in the son's superior covenant, chapter seven, verse 22, which is based on superior promises, chapter eight, verse six. Christ made a superior sacrifice, chapter nine, verse 23. Therefore, believers have a superior possession, chapter 10, verse 34. A superior country, chapter 11, verse 16. A superior resurrection, chapter 11, verse 35. And a superior privilege, chapter 11, verse 40. Everything that Jesus has done is superior to what was done before, to the way of the old covenant. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, obey Jesus, because he is superior in every way. Now, why is he stressing this? Well, many of the first recipients of the book of Hebrews would have been tempted to return to Judaism or some form of it. Probably because there was persecution that was happening for those who were believers. For those who called upon the name of Jesus, they were being persecuted because of it. And so, the temptation being, if I just kind of turn back and, and just go back to the way we used to worship, back to the old way, there's no persecution to the people who are worshiping that way. So there's a temptation, and I'm just going to escape this hardship and make life a little bit easier. One of my favorite passages in Hebrews is Hebrews chapter 10. Look, look with me real quick. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, 32. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle and sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. 
there's that better possession. Your possession in heaven for trusting in Christ, believing in him, is better than any possession you can have here on this earth. He said you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because you knew you had a better possession. You see, we may be tempted to turn to other things just like the Hebrews were. Now, it's probably not that we're being tempted to go back to Judaism. I don't think any of you listen to the sacrificial system and all the blood that's involved, and you're thinking, that sounds better. It sounds better than what we're doing here. More exciting, maybe. I don't think any of us are tempted in those ways. But there is persecution for those who trust in Christ. All over the world. I'm sure Pastor Josh could tell us all kinds of stories of ways in which Christians are persecuted in other parts of the world. And we don't want to be too, you know, hard on ourselves, but we, we have it kind of easy in this country. But it is somewhat getting harder and harder to live as a faithful Christian in the United States of America. And the temptation for us, for all of us, is, well, if I just, if I just kind of you know, give, give in on this one issue, then life will be a little easier. There's not gonna be as much abrasion or people hating on me or people not loving what I'm believing. And the author of Hebrews would remind us, don't give in. Although being a follower of Jesus and clinging to him may be difficult, may be hard at times, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything else that you can go to or run to or cling to for hope. Jesus is better. Everything else will let you down. Everything else will fall short. Nothing else will be able to present you faultless before God in heaven except Jesus, the Son, who has made purification for sins and right now is sitting at the right hand of the majesty of God on high. Y'all look to Jesus. He's better. Nothing else can satisfy the way he can. Keep your eyes on Jesus and know that he has spoken to us in the Bible. Open your Bibles. Read what he has said. Listen and obey him. He is worth it. He is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and for this word from the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better. He's superior to all things. There is nothing in this world we could compare him to that even comes close. So God, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And God, as, as Hebrews says later on, let us throw off every weight that clings so closely and let us lay aside any sin which clings so closely so that we can run the race with endurance that is set before us, running to Jesus. God, we thank you for him. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.